you found the Paulist Daily Comics Analysis pod- Podcast Project. Uh, it's daily so we can read widely, and it's analysis so we can dig deep. I'm Paul. I'm an English teacher, a literacy researcher, and a comics reader. I'm on Twitter at Tuplai, T-W-O-P-L-A-I. You can find visuals to go with this podcast at thepaulist.com. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes. It helps us a lot. Uh, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, and today is our Monday Marvel, a little bit out of order. Our comic is Silver Surfer number six, or number 200, um, by Dan Slott and Mike and Laura Allred. Uh, And we'll be looking at the domestication of the epic superhero. So let's dig deep. All right, as I mentioned, we're um, out of order. <laughs> um, we should be doing the Sunday Super Friend, uh, a DC comic, and we will be talking about Future Quest number four um, soon. But I thought, just for reasons, that we would do Silver Surfer first. And so here we are talking about um, uh, Silver Surfer, um, and this is issue six of the current run um, of volume. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what volume of Silver Surfer we're on. Five, maybe? Um, but, you know, Marvel's now model of um, kind of re- restarting or relaunching in uh, after intervals, shorter intervals. Um, well, I know there's a lot of complaints about it, and I know it's confusing when there's, you know, two Squirrel Girl number ones within a year. Um, but I got to confess that I, I don't mind it um, because I think that the idea of... Um, an endpoint is always appealing to me in terms of narrative. Uh, the superhero macro narrative, macro text will always be there. It will always, you know, be this um, continuous shared universe. And um, and frankly, I'm not overly concerned about, you know, having my comics numbered up to 200 or 673 or whatever. Um, I like the fact that um, they're concentrating on telling stories that can be you know whatever bound into a hard hard cover together um but that um still fit within the larger universe i think silver surfer was actually the best proof of it it's gotten a lot of um you know sort of critical uh acclaim it was nominated for a harvey it won a, an eisner um and it was uh gratifying to see that because when that when the the last volume of silver surfer started uh with dan slot writing and mike allred uh, and Laura already doing colors. Um, I I think I was really um, pretty hyped about the title. I, I I'm a you know uh, moderately excited fan of <laughs> Dan Slott. I think he's done some things with Spider Man that have been um, actually you know departures, but true to the character um, in the kind of situations that he's put him in. Um, a figment in the mind of Doctor Octopus, for instance. <laughs> um, but actually, more so that I think that the um, the combination of his kind of storytelling and it's always been very humane uh, and relationship centered uh, slots is in the midst of some crazy circumstances. Um, his storytelling combined with uh, Mike Allred's art and then to have Laura, Laura Allred on colors, of course, um, has was uh, so intriguing and so exciting to me that um, I was really looking forward to the series before it started, and I was not disappointed when it came. And what was so cool was that it was one of these stories that seemed like it was its own little corner of the Marvel Universe, doing its own unique little thing that was, um, you know, not mixed in with a whole bunch of the other junk. You know, we had... Uh, Silver Surfer finding a, a sort of companion, and I use that word advisedly, <laughs> you know, a sort of Doctor Who-like situation where Don Greenwood was traveling the the galaxies with him, and um, 
you know, he was dealing with uh, his his not being human and uh, and yet having to live with a human, having this human um, dema- demanding of him to be a human. And that's probably the hardest thing that uh, Silver Surfer has ever had to do uh, because it's not who he is. It's not who the character was when he was introduced. And um, yeah, I liked it. And I thought Allred was the perfect artist for it because I think of Mike Allred as our, our sort of our pop art reverie. Comics's um, best answer to Bowie has a way of drawing uh, that is just utterly magnetic and yet totally strange. And um, and Silver Surfer has always been that kind of character too, you know, totally magnetic, uh, unless you're talking about the film versions of him, but totally magnetic and yet always strange, always distant, um, always you know, um, metallically other, you know, and, um, and I think, um, you know, Starlin knew how to play with that. Kirby knew how to play with that. Um, and, and, uh, you know, what they're doing with it now, I think is something thoroughly, you know, contemporary and very different, which was to push against that distance, um, by thrusting him with somebody who, you know, makes us want to, watch it as a as a romantic comedy um uh and so i was really satisfied with that run and actually no no the bigger point was that i was really satisfied not only with the story in the last volume but also that they wound up being in fact consequential to the bigger events of the marvel universe uh you know the sort of multiverse shattering 616 destroying events of jonathan hickman um what he hath wrought on on the marvel universe and so i i i liked that fact i liked that you know in, in a way the the marvel universe was big enough for this story to to um to not not only be in it but to count and i love that um and it sort of continued on in this volume and um uh basically uh i'm gonna spoil the heck out of this book i'm gonna talk as if i with the assumption that you've been reading and i'll try to fill in enough information so that if you don't care about going back and reading it and you just want to see this book for the analysis that i'm providing that you'll hopefully catch on um but if you don't want to be spoiled in the book, um, stop this, go pick up, you know, Silver Surfer, make sure it's the 2016 <laughs> volume and read one through six and then come back and let's talk. Um, but, um, you know, I think they've really done some thoughtful things uh, in this run. Um, this whole idea of the cult, of the culture of Earth being sort of vacuumed away and then, you know, this um, Faustian bargain of having the the culture and history of Zen La um, disappeared, uh, even from himself, uh, for for Surfer is uh, for Norn Rad um, is kind of a fascinating concept. I, I think it's so interesting that um, Allred was doing art ops and then doing this um, two different, two separate books, quite different, but that were both about this idea that you could th- sort of you know through th- theft or magic or whatever you could drain uh, people of 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 their culture as if culture could be abstracted from people um and then they'd be left wearing um creepy white all white suits or whatever and it's just kind of a fascinating idea um especially i think in that in in how slot and all red have Slot and Allreds <laughs> have made the draining of culture essentially the draining of memory. Um, that kind of intriguing um, 
notion that um, that our memories itself themselves, our identities themselves, are part of culture, and so um, so that's been kind of fun to look at. Um, you know what else is fun to look at? <laughs> Michael Red's art and Laura Allred's coloring. And what I want to talk about today is so so they've done something, and I think we can just kind of take as granted as established that they've done this, uh, namely that they've taken this hero who was always built on his epic strangeness, um, he actually, hero, not, not always a hero, but this character that's, that was always built on sort of his epic strangeness, his, his otherness, his being a herald of Galactus and so forth. Um, and really pushed in a very direct and explicit way on, um, on this idea of, um, uh, of <laughs> him not being human and then having to be human and just sort of um, in, in some ways making light of it um, in a way that, you know, works so well with Allred's art style because what Allred can do as an artist is to draw something that is um, playful and a um, little, you know, sort of outside of the self-serious norm of superhero comics and yet is has its own sort of cool seriousness um and uh and it's but it's a, it's a different kind of s- seriousness and i think what they've done is they've managed to make dramatic some a character who existed in the you know uh, distant realms of the epic um and domesticated him and when i when i say domesticated i i don't mean that in a sort of like um sort of patriarchal like oh he's got a woman now so he's been uh tied down Uh, what i mean is that is that they have rooted surfer in a home i mean a lot of this run has really been about him uh being in a sense divested or divesting himself of home uh, of, of his home really having lost its the things that make it home the aspects of culture that give him give them memory and and recognition and identity and so rightfully maybe he's cast out and having been cast out now he um he's received by earth to be um to be norn rad to be pretty rad for (laughs) for hanging out on earth with don greenwood and her rad uh innkeeper family (laughs) um that's been the 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 issue the the run and of course in this issue um uh, uh sort of confrontations coming to a head a uh, huge guest appearance by spider-man who i think is you know well written here it's almost as if dan slot knew a thing or two about writing spider-man and um and uh you know these uh alien creatures that were let in by whatever you know business went on whatever cosmic business went on um have uh, an ability to manifest as as the worst fears of whoever it is that they're confronting um and so um uh, you know, superheroes, the Spider-Man and Silver Surfer have to deal with that at the same time that um, he is confronting and dealing with some uh, things about himself and the fact of his past disappearing, his his culture and history disappearing. And then in this um, move of, uh, you know, sl- slick move, bro, um, he is insensitive to um, Don's you know, need for a process, um, to consider the, the possibility of seeing, uh, his, her mother. And so at the end of the last issue, um, issue five, he has zipped her away to, um, to 
you know, with his um, power cosmic locating his mother, her, her mother on the other side of the country. And he's brought her um, to uh, an un- unwelcomed introduction, reintroduction to her mother. And just reminds you that, um, you know, we're talking here about human stakes and we're used to Silver Surfer dealing with, you know, planetary stakes. And, um, and so how is it, how do you make human stakes drama um, epic enough for this hyper epic character? Uh, well, you do some of what um, Slot and Allred have done as storytellers. I think I said Slot was the writer, and I think they've been doing the whole thing where the artist is co-equal storyteller. So I'm sorry if I got that wrong. But um, what what they've done is that they've really made the stakes um, relational ones. You know, they, the, the stakes have been, yeah, we, we're concerned about Surfer and uh, his well-being, but... It's really his uh, anchoring in Don's emotional life that has made the, you know, relatively smaller stakes of what happens to Earth, this one planet, and what happens to this one um, person and this one family uh, mean something to us. And so I guess what I thought about as I read this issue is I thought about how, you know, with the, the huge stakes of a um, Jim Starlin or a, um, a Lee and Kirby Silver Surfer, you, ha- you had the, um, you know, the, the grounds for the kind of Marvel style dynamic art that, um, and, and visual storytelling that um, somebody like Jack Kirby would bring to a character like Silver Surfer. How do you, you know, do that kind of dramatic storytelling um, when you suddenly become talking heads in an inn, when suddenly, you know, the, the thing that Norn Rad is up to is trying on clothes from, you know, the, uh, his future brother-in-law, you know, um, it just is, is, um, you know, suddenly you, you turned down the volume on so many things. And it's, and a lot of it in this issue, if you're flipping through it comes back because there's re there's sort of, you know, flashbacks of fights and then there's present day fights between all of these, um, you know, transmogrified uh, fears and enemies of Spider-Man and Silver Surfer attacking the city and them having to defend it. Yes, yes. But there is a lot of talking heads in this book. And how do you make those talking heads as dramatic, um, as epic in, in, you know, in scope as the kind of stuff that a surfer dealt with in the past. Now, to be sure, you know, always has been operatic um, Silver Surfer's dramas. And there's always been this whole question of, you know, his non-humanness and humanness in um, in whomever has penned Silver Surfer. And so this is not new. But I think what is new is how, again, thoroughly domesticated um, Silver Surfer is becoming in the sense that he's making a home on Earth. And that and having made a home, suddenly the stakes shift. Um, one way that I think um, all of this is done visually is that um, there's a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of, as I said, talking heads. And when I think about talking heads, I always think about um, a piece that I read, a bit that I read from a book, and it's an oldish book. Um, I didn't study film, but um, just actually for the sake of understanding comics, I was a little interested in um, in sort of visual storytelling and cinematography and stuff like that. So I once uh, sort of 
skimmed my way through a book called Film Directing Shot by Shot um, by Stephen Katz. It's a 1991 book, but I think it basically, it's, I think it's pretty rudimentary. It's solid. It's, um, I think it's liked. It's the kind of thing that would pass for a textbook in a film class. Um, but it kind of talks about um, ways that you can, like I said, like it sort of says, visualize from concept to screen, including storyboarding and including different um, choices of, of uh, what you do with a camera. And one of the instructive chapters in that book for me in terms of understanding comics is, um, especially ones where you have talking heads, is there's a chapter in the book about um, dialogue, about staging uh, dialogue, staging talk between characters. Uh, you know, and there are plenty of movies um, uh, that, uh, well, I mean, okay, so I was going to say, you know, you, you really don't have to be a... Um, uh, dinner with Andre <laughs> to in, involve dialogue. You know, dialogue is part and parcel of every Marvel and DC movie uh, to to a a more a a uh, more useful to less useful degree. Let's say um, without commenting on my opinions about those movies, but there's um, you know there's ways that movies uh, stage dialogue that. I think have um, sort of, you know, entered our cultural consciousness and that have entered our comics. And that actually, you know, I, you know, I'm not one to say that it hasn't moved in the other direction as well, that comics haven't provided for our imaginations a visual language that movies have gone on to adopt. Obviously, that, that has happened too. Um, it's hard, I think, to specify those things. But um, anyway, in this book, um, it talks in this chapter about um, the way that you set up the actors, uh, characters, uh, and the camera for dialogue. And one of the principles um, that you can see on the very first page is this principle of frontality. And basically, frontality is that uh, what we what we want to see is the face of the character. Um, when we when somebody is speaking, we expect to see their faces. It's why when you learn, you know, when you're in a school play in sixth grade, they tell you that even though you're talking to somebody, you're sort of half facing them and half facing the audience. And so on the very first page of this issue, there's frontality at work, even though they're showing, um, you know, the the Horizon University people in the Bay Area represent, um, are showing Peter Parker what they've found, you don't actually see anybody turned um, facing away from each other the way that they ought to. There are some what are called shoulder-to-shoulder shots where characters are standing beside each other and talking to each other, but we see the faces of all of them because we need to see faces. You know, it's fairly obvious. You know, we just need to understand the, their affect. We need to, even though they're talking to each other, grasp uh, what's going on in their expressions. And to make that make sense artistically, you need to sort of, you know, adhere to this principle of frontality. And of course, the problem is in real life, when we talk, we face each other. And so how do you achieve frontality where we can see the faces is what we, which we need to sort of engage in and get into the character, get inside of the character. Um, and yet, um, still have the characters talking to each other. And so on the very next page, you see this, uh, the Green Goblin, not the Green Goblin, of course, but the Green Goblin confronting um, Peter. And I think it demonstrates um, something called the master shot, which is, uh, again, I'm, I'm taking from um, this book on, on film, film directing. Uh, but um, the master shot being the kind of like what comics use as the establishing shot, but not with a setting, but with 
two characters having dialogue where you can see both of their faces. And once you've established the relationship, the spatial relationship between them, as well as the notion that they're talking to each other face to face, then you can do what they call the sequence shot, which is move the camera, you know, shift it this way and that. Um, and, you know, safely the, you know, certain things that you can do to aid the process, but safely you can, the readers bought in. And, you know, here you might bring in the comics principle of the 180 rule, which is that, you know, if something's on the left and something's on the right, you can tilt the camera angle, you can do all kinds of things to make it more dynamic. But don't break the 180 rule where the thing on the left is suddenly the thing on the right or the, the, the speaker on the left switches to the right and then switches back to the left all over again. And there's plenty of uh, good comics theory about whether that holds or not, whether or not we as readers need the, the clue that, you know, this speaker will always be on the left and the speaker will be always be on the right. There's some good good discussion and, and debate about that. Um, but it is a sort of very um, <laughs> sort of basic um, idea that you can kind of figure that for our brains, we just helps us to figure this one's here and this one's there. And so the, the master shot kind of establishes that. Um, but from there, you know, you have all kinds of variation. You have the question of how you're going to show this and how you're going to show that. Um, how are you going to show characters moving back and forth? How are you going to play with the expectation that we have that um, when characters care about each other and are listening to each other and want to show sympathy or want to um, connect, then they tend to face each other. They tend to look at each other's into each other's faces or at least to um, glance or whatever, you know, whereas if we are... <laughs> Um, trying to communicate some distance as in the next page you go to the next page and you see um, uh, you know silver surfer and dawn uh, tapping at the window and it's sort of creepy looking at um, dawn's mother and how she misses seeing them and so what um, uh, all red and slot do is that they use the whole seeing you not seeing you thing i mean this is all pretty elementary right but but really it's it's what when you're calculating when you're thinking like how do i plan this page you know so much of all red's planning especially somebody who is so adept at figures and and human characters and and their relationships as all red uh, and and by the way, I would note that Allred is an art is one of these artists who draws with more proportion, as in there is a sense of scale that is more normal human. You know, the heads aren't eight times bigger or whatever. And so, and so, you have to speak with the whole body. You know, because the subtlety of facial expression is not as you know, enlarged as if you are like a more of a caricature kind of artist. And so you have to speak with the, the subtlety of body language. And a whole lot of the body language is about turning shoulders and facing this way and where the eye gaze points in contrast to another. Um, you go to the next page and Dawn and uh, Surfer are hiding on the side of the her mother's house and they're kind of going back and forth. And of course, they've done this funny effect of turning them horizontal and uh but there's there there you have um in the big full page panel the master shot and then you get the sequence shot kind of going back and forth between dawn and surfer and a funny dynamic goes on between them but that's a lot of staging and acting that uh, all red is doing and that's how the 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 um I don't know, the stakes get epic, right? Because it's in this dialogue back and forth. You know, you, you, you're you not playing with, uh, I, I, maybe I 
won't need to, but I was thinking about throwing up some pages of like, again, Jack Kirby, Silver Surfer. So you could see that like, yeah, there's dialogue, but you know, there not too many panels go by without this like huge flying through the cosmos surfer. Well, you don't have him flying through the cosmos here. He's been, as I said, domesticated. He's sort of attached his um, sense of home to Earth and to Dawn. And so now you got to make these stakes just as big for a character like this. So you see, despite what I just said, that um, Allred has made Surfer's eyes thicker and darker because his eyes need to emote so much more than they have in the past. And on this page that I'm talking about, the side of the house, the purple color, by the way, is brilliant and beautiful by um by laura allred uh you see surfer emoting with his eyes um in a way that he needs to to match what um don greenwood is doing and um you know i think allred always been a master at uh speaking with the eyes um with both character you know let's say especially female characters like don and also characters with blank eyes like silver surfer or like um madman um Skipping ahead a little bit. So what kind of ends up happening is, again, uh, a lot of dialogue has to carry a lot of weight. And so, you know, it's all that expectation of what it means to be face-to-face and to talk, right? Especially for Donna, she's talking to her mother. All becomes heightened in this page with this sort of almost nine-panel grid where she's standing at the door. She's just debating whether or not she should go ahead and confront. She's talking to a door and then at the bottom of the page her mother opens the door and drops the coffee glass coffee cup mug (laughs) and um and i think that whole nine panel grid is again letting her act but act against a wall you know this is dialogue monologue as dialogue (laughs) right and so you get to externalize all kinds of internal stuff and so Don gets to do all sorts of acting or the all reds get to do all sorts of acting through Don in this uh, in, in kind of emoting her agony. And a lot of it has to do again with the height at which she her eyes are at and the way that she lowers and raises her head, the angst in her hands, the tension uh, that has her place here or, or dab away the tear. Anyway, if you're looking at the page, I don't really need to tell you how, a whole lot how much of that acting is going on. And this is part of, of course, Allred's gift that makes his characters feel so alive and never feel stiff and never feel... Um, uh, uh, you know, rigid. And if there's something that I'm a huge fan of, of Allred, as you can probably tell, I'm also a huge fan of other artists like Cliff Chang, who have a similar, um, you know, kind of line and, 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 um, style, stylishness to them. Um, but, but I feel like, um, Chang has, uses angularity, whereas Allred uses fluidity and there's a fluidity, um, in, in, uh, in, Dawn in this, you know, demonstrated in this page. That's, that's marvelous. All right. So I want to get to the dialogue though, because (laughs) that was the point. Um, So if you have two characters talking to each other, you know, as this cinematography book that I was talking about, this, um, this uh, uh, film directing book that I was talking about. So they talk about a, a, a couple of factors. One is that how you stage the characters in terms of their position to each other. And I was, I already said this, like, you know, do their shoulders square with each other? Do their faces square with each other? You know, the sort of most typical shot that we expect of two people in conversation is that they're facing each other and their shoulders are parallel, right? 
And so one way you frame that is you frame it in, as this book says, the first option is to frame the subjects in profile um, exactly like you see in the first panel of, um, of Dawn and her mother sitting inside of her mother's house together. Uh, there's a lot of acting going on. So even though their shoulders are technically parallel, you can see her mother's shoulders slumped, her arms crossed in a sort of you know, self-protective resistance, her eyes a, a, a little lowered as a sort of suspicious, like, you know, what are you, what are you after here? While Dawn is sitting up um, stiff, uh, nervous, you can tell that she, she sort of jets her, her, her um, chest forward in a, in a kind of act of uh, mustering bravery, right? And then you get what directors call the over-the-shoulder shot where, um, you know, you see Dawn, you, I mean, sorry, you see Dawn's mother through over Dawn's shoulder and you see Dawn's, uh, you see Dawn over her mother's shoulder. And there's an important thing that's going on here in terms of the angle that they're looking at because when you have two characters looking at each other like this, you're not directly over their shoulder. This isn't a, a POV shot where you see through Dawn's eyes and she's looking directly at you because that would give you this feeling of almost creepy immediacy. Like that would be too direct if you were seeing Dawn's eyes and seeing her mother looking right at you. And I think what we're meant to we're meant to still see this as okay so the degree to which <laughs> the character is looking directly at you is the degree to which you are starting to identify with and sit in the seat of a, per, a particular person right and so if we were say if if Allred had drawn the two middle panels of the same page where instead of seeing over Dawn's shoulders slightly to her left, we were seeing through her eyes, then we would have this very direct, almost looking at us of her mom. And the thing is, you know, her mom is talking to her with this guardedness and this suspicion. I think if it was that direct, we would be put off. We would be too put off. You know, uh, in, it, uh, as it's drawn, we are put off for Dawn's sake, but we're not put off ourselves. It's not as if her mother's being cold to us. She's being cold to Dawn. And so it's kind of vital that even though we don't see Dawn's face, that we're actually looking over her shoulder so that we sort of have her perspective, but not, right? And then actually the very next, the very same thing in the next panel where Dawn's own um, sort of groping for what she, what exactly it is that she wants or what exactly that is that she's doing there, we see over her mother's shoulder. And I think that goes a long way in um, in provoking some of our sympathies for both characters. You know, an over-the-shoulder shot allows for not a over overly high degree of identification or 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 um, or or sympathy, uh, but a sort of just enough that you get the feeling of what it is to see this dialogue from the angle of the characters that we can empathize, maybe. You know, from a sort of 28 degree distance you know 20 degree eight degrees off to the side so that's the that's the over the shoulder shot as employed with these characters who are in the position of talking to each other well what goes on in the as the issue continues is that they have this conversation and as they talk suddenly those angles get changed you know whether or not it's a close-up angle whether um it's a, what they call a long a long lens over the shoulder shot where you're actually almost as if you have a long lens and you're closer up on the face and therefore right at the neck as, as you see in one of the panels right at the neck of one of the pov characters right and it sort of has a different sense of um intimacy you know and so 
as Don starts to say, oh, this is me, you know, uh, this is who I am, right? And her, her mother, you can see, kind of inches closer to her and the angle allows us to enter her mother a little bit more and enter her mother in a way that makes us like, oh yeah, I care about what, who you are and what happened to you, you know? And then, then we start getting the full bore perspective shot and with all of the stuff going on in the background that's like oh i know about this right and it's just awesome uh and then we have pages of of big superhero fighting 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 <laughs> when we come back to dawn again we have um you know her narrating all of these experiences that she's been through with silver surfer with this excitement and you you get the these direct shots of her their face but since we've already had that uh, master that uh, you know what do you call it the master shot we've already had the establishing shot of the two of them in conversation we see Don talking about all these memories very much through the eyes of her mother you know and so the excitement that she shows and sort of sitting up in her chair in the very last panel of the page where um, I'm not sure what page this is, this is maybe roughly 14 or 15, 16, something like that, that the excitement that is generated that's in her eyes makes sense because we have watched Dawn narrating all of these events. And of course, we can kind of see them in the background till finally the page where Dawn is stretching her arms, the earth is behind her. We're right behind the back of her mother. And you just sense all of the excitement, right? That she's been caught up in Dawn's story and then she's emotionally invested right and then she poses this question and another principle of staging dialogue um, comes into play and that principle is uh, not to do with where the camera angle is although that still is a factor but um, but to, ha to do with the positions of the characters um, the ways that they are like I said at the beginning looking at each other, from what angle they're looking at each other, who's higher, who's lower, where are their shoulders and their faces in relation to each other, right? And, you know, the ways that um, those bodies are positioned to each other are meant to communicate um, everything, really. Um, when you have, say, um, a, one character lying down in the lap of another character, they're unevenly placed, but there is a tension and a drama to that. Or when you have two characters who are 90 degrees from each other or talking over their shoulders and turning backwards to talk to each other, their backs faced to each other, um, that is, it creates a tension as we watch. We sort of assume a distance um, or, a, or a neglect or a disregard, right? And so in this, um, this, in this shot, we have, an, it looks, two unparalleled, characters and dialogue as Dawn has gotten so excited that she's stood up in her seat she bends down it's very much a sort of um you know very subtle but you know we all know it when we see it a kind of I'm ready I I'm you have been caught up in my story and now I'm ready to sit at your feet you know and to hear from you you know for you to be enter the picture that I'm painting for you because, you know, oh, yeah, you know, our, my sister got married and she's pregnant and you're going to be a grandmother. And that you're going to be a grandmother is Dawn saying to her, you're no longer just an audience. I want you to step into this story. And, of course, in a very sweet way, she does it 
while positioning herself lower than her mother. And then there's the devastating panels, you know, where her mother is higher than her and gives her this look down her nose at her, which again, you know, you're playing with the master shot and the, the um, equality that was there. And then she says, I think you should go now. And it's just totally, utterly devastating. You know, <laughs> it's not, um, I'm blanking on all my Galactus history now, but it's not, it's not Galactus devouring a planet in spite of Surfer's best efforts. But it feels just as profound because this epic has been staged. That's about the um, emotions and the reactions of the characters. And by the next page, you know, you can see um, the, all the stuff I was talking about, you know, shoulders turned away from each other as um, well, she's literally running. <laughs> you know, her mother's literally fleeing from Dawn as Dawn grasps to try to hold on to her. Um, some of these dynamics, again, as I was saying about how dialogue plays out, happen with Spidey and Silver Surfer. If you're turning the pages, you can see them shoulder to shoulder and the ways that that can actually not just communicate antagonism, but sometimes um, co cooperation or collaboration. All that stuff about um, being high and being low, uh, of course, when Dawn um, is, is hurt and the way that Surfer carries her and her body. Um, all that stuff is, is relevant, um, even up till the point the, at the very end of the issue when um, there is, a, again, a different kind of shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder shot. And, you know, it winds up being um, Norrin and Don turning their shoulders away from uh, home and Earth and getting away. And then this whole question of whether or not um, they've, you know, Surfer has been domesticated. Um, he's lost his home. He's found a home. Dawn, in a way, has been wounded so that she is losing hers um, or needs to, needs to lose hers to some extent. And then the title is Understanding the Alien Heart. Completely apropos. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's great. It's great. I mean, I think that Silver Surfer has always been hard to tell. It's always been hard to tell a story because it's always, he, he is always banked as a character on his differentness on his otherness and then to have a story that is about um, his otherness trying to not be so other um, for various reasons um, anyway there's a lot that they're playing with there uh, and and they managed to make again a very um, relationship centered story um, have the same kind of epic stakes the same drama that um, you know was there at the at the birth of the character um, but obviously on a very different scale and in a very different way. So, yeah. So uh, as, as uh, you know, my kudos to these creators um, continues, I'm going to keep reading Silver Surfer. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts about the book, especially if you've been an aficionado for a long time. I don't know how many of my listeners are um, like old school Marvel heads, but um, I, um, I have read a, a ton of Marvel comics past and present and um and yet I, I somehow don't ever have much of an attachment to the histories and the characters um you know probably other podcasts that you might listen to like um those guys at robots from tomorrow or um you know <laughs> other other people who talk about comics have probably forgotten more about superhero history and continuity than i'll ever 
learn or read or want to retain, to be honest. But um, let's, yeah, I don't know. As somebody who knows Silver Surfer well, I could imagine them not loving this incarnation. And, I, and I'm curious what you might think about that and about what I've said. So anyway, this has been uh, Silver Surfer number six or 200. Um, and uh, join me tomorrow as I go back in time and talk about the Sunday Super Friend, uh, probably on Monday, um, which will be uh, which will be Future Quest number four. Um, I've been doing this new thing where I try to talk about what's going to happen in the next week, but with the um, with our big two superhero issues, I can't be sure to be honest. I can't be sure what issue is going to come out and what I'm going to. Well, I mean, I can find out what issues are going to come out, but I, I, I can't be sure which one I'm going to have something to talk about. So um, I started posting upcoming episodes on the um, thepaullist.com. So you can look there and I'll try to update periodically. And hey, if you want to just write me and say, Paul, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this book or that, or I'm puzzling through this or that. I promise you I will not <laughs> satisfy you with the answers, but I'm happy to give my thoughts and always happy to in engage in this dialogue. All right. Thank you. You can find me um, on Twitter at Tuply. The Paulist is thepaulist.com. You can um, email me at tuply at gmail.com. And uh, let's keep reading. All right. 